end of last year, last fall, we looked at Dear Timmy, First Timothy. And I know that we call the, these the books of the Bible, but the bulk of them aren't even books. They're letters. And they, it's not like this is this, this, little, this little group of the little mini encyclopedia of a bunch of these different things. No, these are letters. These are, are God <coughs> speaking through one individual, either to a group of believers, like in the letter to the Ephesians, we're talking to all believers at the church in Ephesus. And the, or Galatia, which is an entire region, like, like Paul writing to the churches in Texas. Or Paul writing letters to like a guy named Philemon. Or a guy named Titus. Or in this, it's a guy named Timothy. And this is a letter from one man to another man. A guy who was, who was a church planter. He's a guy on the front lines of the first century church. He had the assignment to carry the gospel to people who were not Jews, which is the bulk of us in this room. And that was Paul's assignment. And he, he, as he made disciples, he reached out and he mentored a lot of people. But Timothy was his number one disciple. If he was going to have a right-hand man, it was Timothy. So we're getting to peak, and, and the Bible has this personal letter from this one man to another man put in here and it gives us all of this insight as we see this early church father speaking into the life of this early church up-and-coming leader and so all of these have to do with life love and leadership and so as we get into this that's what everything is going to come about and as we get into chapter three chapter three the bulk of it as we break it down it's really going to come into this concept that Paul's been weaving in the first, two, the first two chapters. Remember, this wasn't broken into chapters. He didn't write him a little part one, and you know, this is part one of my, chapter one of my letter. He's just writing a letter. We break it up into chapters so we can find things in it. And we can tell people, turn to this part or that part. But this is just a letter. It's just a flow. And the thing that's on Paul's heart, Paul is in the later season of his ministry. What he's looking at is his thoughts are, what can I do in the next 20, 30 years? Because he's not going to be here that long. His thoughts are, what are my disciples, the ones I've poured into, what are they going to do in the next 20 or 30 years? So he's taking these moments to really encourage him to keep moving forward, to carry on what's been going on. And then we get into this, this is is exactly what chapter 3 is about as well. And it really comes that as much as Paul, I mean, as much as Timothy has learned from Paul, he wants him to continue to be a lifelong learner because the pressures of the world that we live in aren't going to go away. In fact, we're about to see that Paul warns Timothy they're going to ramp up. He's about to talk about it. There's going to be this tension, this place where our love is going to be in this contest. It's going to be contended for. Now, Years ago, when I saw this uh, beautiful blonde lady that I call my wife, <coughs> cutie, we uh, it was just one of those things. People talk about falling in love. I'm telling you, I just boom, smack, smack on my face, sprawled out in love. It was just over, and so it was this. <coughs> there was this process then that this immediately we're in love. And then we begin this courtship. A lot of times people have this courtship and get to know each other, and they develop this love. It was just like, boom, we're in love, and now 
this courtship begins. And so we are <clears throat> in this process, and I lived here, and she lived back in Odessa, and I didn't get a whole lot of opportunities to do, uh, to spend with her. So every time I could, I would go there, or she would come here, and I uh, spent lots of money on long distance. All of you who are under the age of 30 have always thought long distance was free. Um, it's not. And so my, my grandmother will still have the shortest conversations in the world because she cannot get it through her mind that it's not costing anything to be on this phone. It doesn't cost anything. Let's just talk. And she just say what she wants to say. I love you. Bye. And you're like, Meemaw, let's talk here. It doesn't cost anything. And so, but this long distance cost, and we spent lots of money on long distance just to spend time together. And so as I decided that I was in this process, we were in love, and we loved each other, but I still wanted to just show it. I wanted to make sure she understood it and contend for her affection. And so I was very involved politically at that time and helped run a lot of campaigns and do a lot of things. And one of my things I got really good at was knocking on strangers' doors and asking them if I could put a sign in their yard. So as I was pursuing Cutie, I decided that I was going to have the Brandon Loves Krista campaign. So I made yard signs. I got poster board. I made Brandon Loves Krista. I got, uh, they, they didn't have the cool things where you can do like one-offs of nice T-shirts. So I got my good old Fruit of the Loom undershirt that you're not supposed to wear just out in public. And uh, got a Sharpie and wrote Brandon Loves Krista. Made my campaign T-shirt. And got, uh, does anybody remember when printer paper came all stuck together and had little holes on the sides of it? Anybody remember those olden days? Yeah, the, the, when the printers were made out of granite, you know, and, and somebody chiseled them together. Yeah, old stuff. And um, anyway, so we still had all that printer paper, which made awesome because it's all stuck together. You didn't have tape. It's already bannered up. So I got that, and they would do the little dot, ma- the little dot matrix little things, and I wasn't computer savvy, so I just got my marker, and I wrote my nice Brandon Loves Krista campaign headquarters, And got all of that out there. And she tells me, she gets on to me and tells me that I have an autopilot. And that I get in the car and I drive the same route. So we end up eating at the same restaurants if we're not careful. Because we will end up on the same street with the same limited choices. But I'm not the only one. Because I knew she always came to my parents' house the same way. She would come up the up university. She would turn on this road. She would come finally find it to 18th Street. She comes up Crescent, and she would come right up to my parents' house. And so I went and got these signs. I'm telling you, those were the easiest signs to ever put in somebody's yard. I got doors slammed in my face. I had people burn my campaign literature in my face. I had all sorts of stuff. People don't like political people knocking on their door. But you go and you have a sign and you're 20 years old and you say, can I put a sign that says I love my girlfriend in your yard? It's just like, ooh, yes, whatever you want to do. And so, man, I tell you what, I could have put out 100 yard signs if I had them. I got more yeses to that. If you're running, for a, running a campaign, just run a I love the city or something like that. You'll be able to put lots of, lots of yard signs out. And um, so I... Uh, 
Um, so I got all the yard signs out, and so sure enough, and I'm just waiting. And I'm just waiting for her to come, and I couldn't call her and rush her. She'd get suspicious, and so I just had to wait. Sure enough, she got off work, and she came along. And the thing is, is that there were about 12 yard signs out there that had her name on them. Had a big loves on there with my name in front of it. And she was cruising along, and she only saw about seven of those 12 yard signs. Because you just get used to going through. I had five signs she didn't even see. Because she was able to just pass them along. And there were these moments all along there where my love was declared to her. It was right there. And it was just being missed in the busyness of life. And finally she began to see it. And then she saw all of those. And she walks in. And I'm standing there with all my dorkiness. with With my shirt on and the headquarters. And somehow she loves me anyways. And... um and uh, we, uh, we have that. And that should have been my moment to ask you to marry me. That should have been. I never did that. She still holds that over. We, we prayed about getting married. God said yes. It seems silly to ask. So, and, um, and so. We'd already prayed about it together. Felt the peace about it. And then I was like, all right, God's cool with it. But will you actually do it? I should have said that. But, but so someday, man, she's going to get the proposal of, a, of her lifetime. It's not right now. This will not work. That will make me in worse, deeper water. Cannot happen here. I do. I'm aware. And I need a bigger ring. And yard signs. Professional ones. Anyways, but that, there was this place that there were these signs all along. And, and there was this place that I desired her love. I desired it. God is there and he is contending. He is motivated and putting things out all the time to remind us of our love. That's why when every person stands before God at the end of life, God is completely in the right because he has shown and has pointed his love and it poured it out over and over and over again. And if we bury our heads and get self-centered and get wrapped up in ourselves and we miss the signs, that is a tragedy. But God has reached out to us over and over and over again. If we'll just lift up our eyes, we will see it. But there's this place that our love is being contended for. And as believers, we were already in love. We were already together a couple. Already. But there's this thing that we have to keep it going. Husbands and wives, never stop wooing your spouse. Never. Never. Never stop wooing your spouse. Because there's this contention for our love. Let's go ahead and look at 2 Timothy 3, 1. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days he's warning paul's warning timothy things are going to get ugly now i want you to look at this most of the time we can pick through this and see all of just this nasty insidious stuff that really creeps us out we're like yeah that's bad there's some stuff in here that we'll gloss over because we might actually do that we don't want to really call it bad but what i really want us to notice is let's look at the word lover let's look at this word lover 
as we go through here. And because in the middle of this, there's this, we see this tension for our love right off the bat. Things are going to be terrible in the last days. People be lovers of themselves. All of a sudden, the love that we were desired and built to be able to pour out and to fully, be fully fulfilled in loving God. We somehow turn that in on ourselves and we begin to just be lovers of ourselves. And something that was designed to be given away when it is kept, it becomes destructive. People be lovers of themselves, which immediately spawns the next one. Lovers of money. Why? Because yourself has some needs you want to fulfill. So you're going to have to have the greenbacks so that you can really love yourself well. So you can buy all the stuff yourself wants. So lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, that comes back to self. Proud, becomes back to self. Abusive. Why is anyone abusive? Anyone. Only a self-centered individual is abusive. Only a self-centered individual is abusive. As soon as you begin to turn your attentions out towards others, whether it's verbal abuse, physical abuse, any other kind of abuse there is, that person is wanting their own needs fulfilled. They feel threatened themselves and they're trying to control and they use abuse to do this. Everything is focused on self. Abusive, disobedient to their parents. Wow, that's a weird one. All of a sudden we throw all of a sudden this messed up stuff and then how we deal with our parents. And we get into this area of honor as adults. There's never this place where we get to allow to discard our parents, good, bad, however they were, and just cut them off. We have to learn a way to be able to deal with it. Maybe they're caustic. Maybe they're hard to deal with. Maybe, maybe you have to learn how to be able to honor and still keep a layer of protection so they're not hurtful to you and hurtful to your children. But that doesn't mean you isolate them from your life and you remove them. We have to be able to be able to deal with that. Ungrateful, selfish people are ungrateful people. They cannot see the blessings. People who look out can see the blessings. Selfish people are ungrateful, unholy, without love. How are they lovers of money and lovers of themselves and then without love? Because genuine love doesn't exist in any of that. You try to be a lover of self, and it just slips away. Love only works with someone else. Without love, why? Because they've built a little room around themselves and tried to build life for them. Unforgiving. Again, why is somebody unforgiving? It was because you did me wrong, and, and, and I'm not going to allow you back into my life again. I'm not going to say that I'm going to let go of this. My wounds are part of who I am. Slanderous. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, again, self-focused, rather than all of the, the antidote to all of that big, long, hairy litany of stuff gets answered right here, rather than lovers of God. When we just take our love and we pour it out towards God, it answers all of that stuff. 
We don't have to be conscious to say, am I being proud? I really need to deal with my pride. Just love God. It'll answer that. Am I wrapped up and am I becoming greedy and a lover of money? Just love God. All of a sudden you'll begin to love others and you'll find yourself being generous and not a greedy individual. Any of these things. Am I unforgiving? Just love God. That person you can't stand, he loves. That person you can't forgive, he's provided forgiveness in Christ. As soon as you begin to get love God, that will begin to reflect back on to that individual. All of these different things get answered in loving God. So where? Where is the tension? What's vying for our love? Is it pleasure? Is it money? It's us. It's us. It's us being self-focused, self-centered. That is where the tension is. Having a form of godliness, yet denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. People begin to try to put on and do the church game, do the religious show. It becomes about me, about me, about me. In fact, Luke, Jesus deals with this in Luke eleven forty three. He says, woe to you Pharisees. These are the religious of the religious people. He says, because you love. Oh, it should be followed. The Pharisees should have been the best at loving God. They should have been the best at it. They knew the Bible inside and out. It says, but woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in church, in the synagogue. You love to look good and important in church. You love the pat on the back and the accolades of the church people. You love the respect and the greetings that come with that in the marketplaces as your esteem in this church community begins to pour out. That's what you love. It isn't about loving God. It isn't about loving other people. You're about loving yourself. And you've taken and you've hijacked this thing we call relationship with God and community together to push yourself up and to get attention for you. You know why it nauseates you? Because it nauseates God. He says, Jesus says, whoa, this is horrible, bad thing. This is not a good place to be. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and you'll love the other. You will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then John reminds us that why are we going to love God? Is it this big weight, this big command, this big mean guy up in the sky says, guess what, I control everything. I'm the puppet master. You better love me or I'm going to bring the stick and whoop you real good. Nope. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he loved us. When you begin to get an understanding of how much God loves you, all of this other falls in line. It's so much easier to love. When Cutie began to see those signs and see the effort and see all of that stuff, the natural response for her on that outpouring, as silly and cheesy as it was, was the love. 
was love. That was just the natural connections, the natural outflow. That's why the enemy, what he is number one thing is to, is to take God's name and to sully it, to muddy it. He wants whenever you think of God that you think of the big judge in the sky. That you think of the, this big mean man that does all these different things. This guy that's mad at you and hates you and has kept you at an arm's length. He is fighting tooth and nail for your mind to be renewed and connect and to see God as a loving and awesome father. Which is who he is. When we begin to see that, all things comes in line. It comes in line. And Paul is reminding his number one disciple this. If Timothy needed to be reminded to watch and be mindful of our love for God and not to become one of these religious people with a form of godliness and denying the power, Timothy could have done it. He could have stepped right in there, been Mr. Man of, the, of all of what was happening, been respected, been all this stuff, and there would have been no real power in it at all. And Paul's saying, love God, love God, love God. See, having a desire for knowledge is not the same thing as having a heart for truth. This is why we're about knowing God better instead of knowing about God better. This isn't about knowing about him. This is get to know him. He wants a relationship with us. We're called the bride of Christ. We're not called the trophy of Christ. We're not called some object that he has gained and earned and sets on the shelf in the mantle of heaven and points to and says, look what I gained and look what I earned. No. It's something that, that is more excited about. We're not his trophy on his mantle. We're his trophy wife. We're called the bride of Christ. He says, look at her glory and her splendor. And everybody on the outside says, well, I don't, what are you seeing? He says, I see the completed work. I see my plans that I have for her. I see what I've, the good work that I've begun. I'm going to finish in her. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see all of the stuff you see when you look at the mirror. He sees the finished product. He sees the finished work. That is what he sees. And that's why we know him better. And that makes us trust him more. Knowing about God better doesn't make you trust him. Knowing about something doesn't make... When you begin to know that individual, that's whenever you begin to trust. This isn't about being the number one fan. This is about being the president, the president of the fan club. At kids camp, we uh, do a, a fun little thing. We've done a concert. We put on this, this rap concert for our kids, and we've done it for years. And um, we uh, have uh, some, some people that we bring in. And um, we've got a guy named Cornelius. And uh, bring Cornelius in, and he's a part of that. And uh, his little sidekick, Boogie Mill. And uh, we bring them in, and we rework some, uh, rework some songs and, and just have an awesome time. So you've never heard Ice Ice Baby until you've heard Cornelius' version of it. And so it's, uh, we have a, have a great time. And uh, anyways, we uh, <coughs> take all sorts of music, and, and we put that on. Well, part of this, we, uh, Cornelius was, was not available, so we have Boogie Mill step up and do the concert, and he did an awesome job. He just killed it. And, um, and part of that, we had... Cornelius's number one fan show up. Number one fan show up on the scene. Oh, I, oh, sorry. 
Boogie Mills, number one fan. Show up on the scene and just, and just go crazy. And just begin to do this. And you know what was the response? Security! I don't know this person! Get this person off the stage! And then they made for a great show. And, and, uh, and Cornelius' number one fan was, was just super dramatic. Boogie Mills, leave me alone. They know what I mean. And um, anyways, but it's, that's not what we're called to be. We're not called to be God's number one fan. We're not going to say, God, I've read all your stuff. I know all about him. You want to know about him? Well, do you know him? Has he spoken directly to you? Well, I can quote all of his stuff. What's the Holy Spirit spoken to you? What's the direction? That is where the relationship exists. It's about having that relationship and knowing him. Second Timothy 3, verse 6 says, <clears throat> this is a flow out of five, talking about these people who are religious and it isn't about loving God. It says, they're the kind of people who worm their way into homes and gain control of gullible women and who are loaded down with sin and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just like Janus and Jambres who opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who are as far from faith as the faith is concerned and are rejected. Why? Because they've rejected the relationship. They've placed themselves in a rejected position because they've rejected themselves. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will become clear to everyone. You, however, know all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecution, sufferings with kinds of with what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and the persecutions I endure, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's going to be this place of tension, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This heart is for us to desire to know the truth and remember those teachings and the things that we've grown in. And last of all, his admonition to Timothy is to continue to let God's word shape and guide your life. One of the wonders of the natural world, the Grand Canyon, this amazing thing, just it's on my bucket list. I still not got to see it in real life, and I will at some point. But this amazing thing cut through solid rock, and it's just cut by water. The stuff that we drink and receive nourishment from. We get in the shower and we're not afraid that it's going to cut us in half. But yet it cut this amazing path and created this. Why? Because there was this continual flow of water. And piece by piece and begins to do it. <clears throat> they do uh, these hot rock massages. I've never had one. And... Um, but I've seen the pictures of them, so now I'm an expert. But you know, you know what I've never seen? I've never seen this big, jagged chunk of granite. This little pointed, jacked up thing sitting on somebody's back. That doesn't sound remotely pleasant. It's always these nice, pretty, smooth river rocks that have been exposed and allowed 
all of these different things and the grains and all this. They've been now made fit for good use. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue in what you have learned. Continue in it. And have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's able to bring these things and make these adjustments so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Those little massage rocks, they weren't created overnight. There was this continual place. And as you and I allow the flow of God's word to begin to continually do it, not out of religious obligation, not because I need to read three chapters today or God's going to be mad at me or not think I'm serious. It's because of the effect that that word does to us. Is that we want that effect. We want what that brings into our lives. And Philippians 4, nine says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. One more time, I want us to think about these two questions. One more time, I want us to say, God, where are we? Where are we? Where are we this week? Last week's issue may have been dealt with this week. Maybe you're still in the same place. Some issues take a little longer. Some issues get shifted just with a little mind shift, a little way of thinking. Where are you? And then allow the Holy Spirit to direct which way forward from here. God's got a wonderful plan to finish the good work that he's done in you. Don't judge yourself mid-project. He is not done. Just keep saying, all right, what's next? What's next, God? I know you've got something good. What's next? And we continue to move in that. See, the truth is that God loves us so much that he meets us right where we are. And he loves us so much that he does not leave us there. He is continually working in our lives, continually. I want us to create a quiet moment. I want us to create a place. Where if you're here today and you begin to see the fact that you've been disconnected from God because you've been trying to do this on your own. You've been trying to impress God with your good behavior and you've been trying to impress God with going to church or any of these different things. And you recognize that this wasn't about all the work that you could do for him. This was about all the work that Jesus completed for you. This is about the fact that you need a Savior and Jesus is Him. And if that's you this morning, we want to create an opportunity for you to say, I believe that Jesus died for me.